Yeah, I, I think there's more of an intersection between the hunting and fishing community and the general outdoor recreation community. And we'll, we'll touch on that later, but I, I think there's room for these communities to collide and sort of be intertwined better, let's put it that way. Hey, I'm Caroline, and you're listening to In Her Nature, the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. This episode is brought to you by Body Glide. Okay, Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We are talking about fly fishing and public lands, and there's no better person in my mind to talk about it. So thanks so much for being here. Um, in the least formal way possible, can you just give us like an intro? Where's home? What are you up to right now? All the good things. Yeah. So hi, everybody. My name is um, Sam Meadow. I'm originally from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which is north central part of the state. I came down to Madison for school and went for civil and environmental engineering. And I currently work for a renewables energy firm down in Madison. So that's where where I call home right now. Yeah, like one of our favorite cities ever. And Sam actually works in the same field as my brother. So there's like a lot of fun overlap with that. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Sam, you, outside of being like, fishing and hunting and that kind of stuff you also are just like an all-around person that loves to be outside so what activity activities do you really resonate with so for me like you said i'd say my two main hobbies and passions would be fly fishing obviously and then bow hunting um sort of fell in fell in love with archery the last 10 15 years um then other than that i'm a pretty pretty diehard mountain biker um skier just camping and just i i like to think of sort of a jack of all trades but um i'd say top four i would agree i would agree top four fly fishing bow hunting biking and skiing so also if there's like any high quality live music in the tri-state area sam is probably going to be there yes music (laughs) music buff music buff yeah totally well i love it because it really goes to show that like there's so many intersections within like the outdoor community. And I know like for me personally, I don't always relate super closely with like hunting and fishing. I kind of think of that as something that I'm not as interested in, but I do think there's a lot of overlap and a lot of opportunity to get into it. So I'm really hyped that you kind of have like all the perspectives or a lot of them at least. Yeah. I I think there's more of an intersection between the hunting and fishing community and the general outdoor recreation community. And We'll, we'll touch on that later, but I, I think there's room for these communities to collide and sort of be intertwined better, let's put it that way. Yeah, I totally agree. Today, we're going to talk about fly fishing, which obviously has been very popular. I feel like in the last couple of years, we've really seen like an increase of visibility of fly fishing. Um, and I've been really like interested by it, but not necessarily felt comfortable like even saying that I want to try it because I feel like I have no idea what I'm talking about. So for people that are really starting from ground zero, can you explain the difference between fly fishing and normal fishing for us? Sure. So I I guess basically the difference from like a technical standpoint is when you're fly fishing, you use a weighted line down to a tapered leader and you cast a fly, which is virtually weightless. And then it's opposite with regular fishing when you use a virtually weightless line down to a heavy lure that you cast. So I I guess 
to fly fishing tends to be or not tends to be it is a hundred percent artificial and it's just a lot more delicate approach to presenting something in front of a fish compared to regular fishing um i feel that means there's sort of more of an intimacy to like fly fishing compared to conventional fishing if that sort of makes sense yeah definitely um i know like my dad is a very big traditional fisherman and you have the experience Mm -hmm. too in both but i think of it as like when they're fishing something like almost sinks to the bottom or is like in the water versus like fly fishing isn't it like resting on the surface of the water so that's like where the i won't call it a stereotype because like it's true like okay when I'd say somebody doesn't know or isn't a fly fisherman or fly fisher woman and they view fly fishing, it's like, oh, some old rich white guy on a stream to casting to these tiny, tiny trout with these floating flies. But really, yeah. like you can fish with sinking line and and cast big streamers for like muskies and pike and bass, or you can do like the delicate trout thing so really it's just a different way of getting something in front of the fish's face that i mean it it is and nobody will really dispute this it it is more difficult than normal fishing 100 percent. but i think the rule the rewards are there but it's not just limited to the trout streams let's put it that way like you you can target target anything with a fly rod Okay. I didn't really realize that. I felt like you could only, you're right. Like I had that very picturesque vibe in my head of like, okay, you're in a very serene environment. You're not mm-hmm. with a boat, you're walking like, but so what you're saying just so, cause I'm like coming from basically ground zero. What you're saying is you can essentially fly fish anywhere. It's just like a different method of fishing. Right. Right. And, and obviously like there's certain situations for each different type of fishing, but like, historically it's like oh we're going out west on a family vacation we need to target trout in these streams when now it's these this younger generation of fly fishermen like the in my opinion the three main species that are blowing up that people want to catch on a fly rod and bringing more and more tourism even to wisconsin is the musky smallmouth scene and then carp on a fly is actually becoming like huge for wait that's wild and, and like ur- urban fly fishing so it's pretty it's pretty cool. I mean, I I, lo- okay. I love the trout. Don't get me wrong, but I don't. I I'm up for it all. A musky. Okay, so we need to back up a little bit. We're speaking like Wisconsin right now, but for people mm-hmm. that have no idea what we're talking about, Sam, can you give us like a very big picture of what type of fish can be caught on a fly lot fly line? Sure. Like I, I'd say, my first few fish on a fly were small bluegills and panfish off the end of the dock moved into moved into the trout scene and then um which is a cold water species i guess we can sort of differentiate between cold and warm water species um and then like the smallmouth bass and musky scene which are these apex predators that's a warm warm water species which hasn't historically been really targeted on the fly rod until relatively recently 
yeah, that's crazy. Um, for people that can't picture these fish, I would say like a muskie, like my dad's dream in life is to catch a 50 pound muskie or 50 inch muskie, which is like many pounds, many, many, many pounds. Yeah. And you, they're teeth. Like these are huge fish. They're teethy critters. They don't, they don't eat the little delicate flies on top of the water. That's really funny. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Sam, I want to talk a little bit about like advice you would give to beginners when, so I get very intimidated by the technical aspect of fly fishing. I feel like regular pole fishing or however you want to describe it, it's like not rocket science. And I kind of grew up doing it right. versus fly fishing feels like I'm skiing double blacks now. So can you kind of give us some advice on like the technical aspect of this? Sure. So yeah, that that is the biggest, biggest hurdle to like do a deep dive in the, in the fly fishing is it's like you said, it's a lot. There's a lot more technical knowledge that you need even to like pick up a fly rod and cast it. Right. Um, so I guess the advice I wanted to give to like beginners is that there's a lot of resources out there and more resources now than even 10, 15, 20 years ago, like between YouTube books. Um, there's some really cool local fly shops that in the Wisconsin area I'll touch on at the end. But I guess my number one piece of advice is to start small. I feel the people getting into fly fishing are those people that want to go put on the waders, go into this pristine trout stream and, and try to cast in this, this moving water. And it's very technical fly fishing. Go to your local local beach or have a buddy who own, has a place on a lake and cast off the end of the dock. And I guarantee you, your cast doesn't have to be perfect, but you'll you'll catch, you'll catch some bluegills. Um, so that's number one. Number two is learn the etymology of fly fishing. Etymology. I'm not a, not a word, wordsmith. Or Sam, anything, pop off. But that basically means it's like, what are the fish eating? Etymology is like the bug life. So let's say I really want a trout fish. I don't want to waste my time with these other fish. Trout are, can be pretty picky. So it's like, if you don't know what to tie on the end of your fly rod, like you might not catch any fish. And so even if you're, you have the cast mastered, but you don't know what to like tie on the end of your line, um, it's, it's kind of going to be not for nothing because obviously it's pretty awesome being there, but you, you want to catch a fish at the end of the day. So the etymology is basically learning what the fish are eating, learning what's hatching, the bug lives, um, when you trout fish, there's a saying called match the hatch. So tie the fly on what, what's hatching that day. Um, okay, Sam, can I interrupt you really fast? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this is a super basic question. Mm -hmm. So the fly is like, is that equivalent to like what a lure is? Yes, yes. So a, a fly, a fly is a very general term in fly fishing because a fly could be this big streamer this long that you're chucking for a muskie or it could be this, this delicate tiny thing you put on top you're floating on top of the water so it's a, it's a pretty general term um okay so i guess i can break that down too it's like yeah please let, let, i'll talk about this from like a uh trout fishing sense so you can use flies are typically split up in between two categories wet flies and dry flies so the dry flies are the ones that float on the water and look like a hatching insect the wet flies are, um, they can be two things really like nymphs 
which is like the larva form of an insect underwater or like a, a streamer, which would represent a bait fish. So. Yeah. Wow. That kind of like made a lot more sense to me than anything I've ever heard. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll follow people into the bait. I, I, this is really revealing like my up North side of me, but we'll like f- go into the bait shop up North and they'll be talking gibberish. I'm like, I literally have no idea what's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and getting back to like learning the etymology, you don't need to study manuals before you go out. But like, if you want to, let's say fly fish for trout in Wisconsin in June, you can simply Google what hatches are going on in June and like they'll, the internet will dumb it down for you. Or if you're fortunate enough to live near a fly shop across the, the country, typically almost Every fly shop I've been in, they have a whiteboard or a chalkboard that says, use this fly, like written on it, and, you, and you'll catch fish. Or like hot oh. flies of the week, stuff like that. So I don't uh, think anybody's that... trying to, I don't think anybody's trying to hide anything. Okay, that was going to be my next, you just answered like three of my questions in a row. One of my yeah. questions was, um, is the community, like when, if you were to go into a fly shop, are they generally cool about it or is there some weird secrecy? And we'll get back sure. to the list you were talking about earlier, but yeah, I'm curious and, about this. No, and, and that's good. I, I know you sent me the list of questions before this, but we can, we can, let's skip ahead to that one because I'm sort of touching yeah. on, on the fly shop scene right now. It's sort of like the vibes yeah, out there. It. Let's do it. Um, like I, I mentioned this previously, but like growing up and even 15, 20 years ago, like fly fishing was considered like the wealthy, rich white men's sport, but it has this cool, the younger generation has really like picked it up and, and went with it. And it's becoming a lot more inclusive for women, people of color, the younger generation, people that don't have a thousand dollars to go buy a brand new fly rod. So the fly scene especially in the Midwest, it's really inclusive, very welcoming. And, it, and it's becoming that way out West too. However, I, I think it's certain states are still kind of trying to catch up with being inclusive as everybody out there. And I, I shouldn't even say certain states, certain cities and areas. Can we name them? Is that, are sure. you allowed to? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll name them. Like, okay. And this, and this is me not living out yeah, there this is, but i remember right. when yeah this is a, a story that that you can both relate to like when we were in jackson so i'll back up a little bit caroline and i were fortunate <laughs> yeah. enough to go on spring break to jackson hole wyoming and yep. um i was doing some fly fishing out there and i went to three fly shops and two of them were just sort of not welcoming and the other was very welcoming so i think some of those like mountain i'm going to say the more wealthy mountain towns like aspen i've had some not so good experiences but that that's been like two percent of the time majority of the time everybody's super welcoming and super super cool um right down the road from aspen and not right down the road but Vale is one of the best fly shop experiences i've ever had um and there's a certain fly shop etiquette that I think people who don't fly fish don't really understand. It's okay, that this is exactly what I want to talk about. Right. Yeah. So, and I hate to generalize the outdoor industry like this, but people are pretty cheap. Like we're recreating in the outdoors, but like, if you want to learn some knowledge from somebody, walk into a fly shop with a six pack and go into that fly shop knowing 
when I ask for what flies to use, I'm going to buy six of them. And you don't need to spend a hundred dollars, but spend $15 and then just be very cordial to the person. And I think it's goes back to the golden rule. They'll treat you how you want to be treated type of thing. But there's times and I've witnessed it and I'm friends with a lot of fly shop owners and fly shop workers that people walk in and say, Hey, where do I fish? What's biting? And they just don't do their, if you do five minutes of research before you walk in a fly shop and start asking questions, they'll really appreciate that. Like, let's say I walk into a fly shop in X city and I say, Hey, like I'm new to town. Um, is this still hatching? Or I'm curious about fishing this river. And as soon as you mention something like that, they'll definitely steer you in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, that's like the ideal conversation I wish we all could have on this podcast of like, okay, I'm interested in doing this. How do I walk into my local shop and like not be looked at like an idiot? Sure. Because a lot of times we don't know what we don't know, especially if you don't know anyone else. So that is so helpful. And I think they would really appreciate it too. If you are totally brand new, say, yeah, hey, just walk in and admit it. Be like, I am totally brand new. Please help me. And they will rather <laughs> than you trying to impress them if that makes sense right yeah right and i think that honestly is like a point that can go across so many other sports or activities or hobbies and you don't need to be like everyone else you know what i mean you don't need to pretend that you know what you're just go in and be humble and be kind and i think you make an excellent point that like these local smaller businesses Mm -hmm. like thrive off of community and so we need to support them so if you go in and get something make sure you're giving something back whether it's like financial, hopefully it's financial, but like, you know what I mean? You need to like kind of give something back. And even a lot of these fly shops too, and this is me speaking to a few I know in Wisconsin, just because don't live out, out West. So I can't really speak to those, but I'm sure it's the yep. same. Like the local fly shop in Stevens Point does a great job of putting on like learn to fly fish classes for like, totally. I don't know how much they are, but 50 or 60 bucks for X amount of sessions. Like that's a great intro to fly fishing and then the whole scene itself. So yeah, I guess to circle totally. back on like what the vibes are out there and like how are the fly shops? Yep. 99% they're awesome. They're great, but it's definitely it's fly fishing definitely has some catching up to do to be more inclusive and and I think they've I think they've gotten there. Um, at the end, I'll shout out some some pretty cool, inclusive programs and and, and fly shops out there. But yeah, totally. they're 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 on the rise, which is which is exciting. That's really cool. I think generally, I see fly fishing as a rather accessible sport. I think, or accessible, and we'll get into public access too mm-hmm. later. But um, I think generally, it seems like a community of people that are wanting to be outside and wanting to like really experience that in a different way which I think is really cool um I don't want to forget about the list that I so interrupted you on we were talking about we got through like two of your tips so we were saying like start small and Mm -hmm. learn what the fish are biting yeah and and I guess just do your do your research is like number three um and there's I mean we're lucky you can do research on any of your outdoor endeavors online but like a even an hour podcast is you'll, you'll learn a ton. Okay. That's so helpful, Sam. I feel like that really breaks down like the technical aspect. Mm-hmm. Can you, okay. I'm a very visual person. Would you be able to like 
kind of articulate what a day like on the water looks like for you? I feel like I have a hard time visualizing fly fishing because I've never really like seen it start yeah, to finish. You know what I mean? Definitely. So I guess, and we'll just say where I'm, I'm trout fishing here. So day on the water, I like to do, like I said, a little research ahead of time. And I just have sort of have that prior knowledge of what's hatching and what's going on. But, um, I guess whenever I, I get to the stream, I always like to take a second, kind of look around, see what's going on, see if what I have tied on, I think will, will work. And then I'm never, never afraid to, to change it up. But I, I guess it's sort of a tough question because it's like every, every, everything's so different. And, um, Okay. So let's, this is a, this is good. So let's back up. I feel like these, there's some things that are so obvious to you that aren't mm-hmm. always yes. the most obvious. Yeah, so that, like, what are you be. wearing? Sam? Okay. Yeah. Like good. what's, what, what are you in good right question. now? Good question. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's my fault. Um, but I'd say if I am in a, if I'm fishing in a month that is not June, July, August, or September, I'm wearing waders. Um, which are, is a plastic, um, overall type thing that just keeps you waterproof. Um, if I am in the summer months, I don't, when the water is a little warmer and I feel I don't need to wear waders, I'll wear like long underwear under like baggies or something like that. Um, and then wading boots, which are just boots meant to meant to be worn in the water. So um, I'm getting wet, but it's not. And and I guess I wear like the long underwear or a tights type thing is because you're walking through some pretty tall grass and tall grass, especially in Wisconsin, means a lot of burning nettles. And you don't want to run into a patch of burning nettles and bare bare legs. Definitely. Okay. You have to tell us what that is. A burning, I don't even know what that a burning is. burning nettle is this plants that is just grows wherever tall grass grows and it just burns and itches for about 10 15 minutes until you wash it off in the water and rub it a while and then it like sounds horrible yeah it's they're not fun it's like poison ivy on steroids but then goes away okay sam that's actually so helpful though because i feel like there's these little things like, okay, when you fish on a boat, obviously you're not like generally wearing that stuff. So it's sure. hard for me to like understand like yeah. core gear. And, so and I guess- I'm talking right now of just your wade fishing, which means you are fishing from shore or in the water um, and you're, you're not on a boat. So that's, and that's what I will probably talk about the majority of the podcast just because, okay, I'm starting from square one. I don't have a boat or I might not know anybody that has a boat and I just want to get out and fish. Totally. Yeah. Love that. Okay. Other thing I want to talk about is like the cast itself, which feels like very iconic and Mm -hmm. somewhat hard to articulate on a podcast, but can you kind of run us through the general casting edit or the casting? Absolutely. And there's like two tips that I can give to anybody that will get you casting at, at three tips. I'll say it. But the first one is, and hopefully you can see this is you want to keep this. You don't when you don't want to break your wrist. So you don't want to go like that. You want to keep this like a straight line. And then when you cast for 
you want it to be a 10 and a 2. So right here is your motion. Rather than you see people going like all, like you don't want to do that. So when somebody's breaking their wrist and going like that, that's not ideal. So keep your wrist straight, 10 and 2. And then it, it doesn't have to be fast because uh, you want to okay. wait until that line loads up behind you and that line gets fully behind you and then you bring it forward. So that's okay. the basic, basic cast. And another thing that I think people make a big mistake on and causes them to not catch as many fish or miss their opportunities isn't fly fishing we called something it's called false casting when you go back and forth and not actually let the line out um mm -hmm. you don't people don't need to false cast as much as they do like it can be one two once you get good all that line will shoot out and by false casting you're just missing opportunities on the water so everybody everybody would love to do this crazy fancy casting like in the movie any, any fly fisherman will get this reference, but River runs through it. The young Brad Pitt. Great yep. movie, but everybody wants to see this unreal, fancy cast. And it doesn't have to be like that. It's pick it up, one, two, get as much line out as you can, and then shoot it out again. Okay. Yeah, and that's really helpful, honestly, because those are the little things that's Mm -hmm. Again, you see something that looks credible. You're like, okay, that's the vibe. So we're going sure. for it. And then you get out there, just not even close to and, reality. Yeah. And that too, I'll say is like the stereotypical main cast I'm describing. If we're nymphing, which is when you're fishing those flies on the bottom of the river, it's very, it's just different. But that main fly cast that everybody should learn is just that up here. 10 and 2, keep your wrist locked, and wait till that line gets all the way behind you before you go forward again. A lot of times okay. people just go too fast, and if they don't wait till that line gets all the way behind you, it's just going to end up end up in a big, big ball, big mess. For somebody that's just beginning into fly fishing, you need a rod, and typically a 9-foot, 5-weight rod is what's going to what's going to be the best. You can catch panfish, trout, bass, and what rods are, um, I'll say the stiffness of the rod is called a rod weight. So it goes typically two through 12, which two being really light for tiny, tiny fish, five being kind of in the middle, and then your 10 through 12 to being like big stiff rods for your salmon, your muskie, your pike, your stuff like that. But, I never knew anything about that. So yeah. that's wild. <laughs> and then, and then. So, what weight do you normally go with? With, I know it kind of depends, but what's your go to? So, in, so the go to for anybody just getting into it and they could only buy one rod, it would be the nine foot five weight rod. Five weight. My Wisconsin fishing, just because there's so <gasps> many fish species, I vary from a three up to like a 10. But if I okay. had to recommend one rod, it would be nine foot five weight rod. Um, okay. And then your reel isn't really all that important when you are fishing for species of fish that are not massive because your reel is really holding your line. If you were to spend your money on one item getting into fly fishing, it should be, it should be your, uh, your line. 
Um, so your line is pretty much consisted of three things. It's your backing, which sort of is what your main fly, fly line is tied to. But your backing is sort of is a filler. It takes up space in your reel. And then your fly line and then down to a leader and like tippet material. That's what you tie the actual fly to. Um, but a floating, a weight forward floating line is what the majority of people can fish their whole life with and not change. So I'd say rod, nine foot five weight, a cheap, cheap reel, a weight forward floating fly line, and then a handful of flies. And then what I think is important, but not really necessary like necessary to start fly fishing but i think it should be for fish care you want hemostats which is another word for fish players essentially snips and a net just so okay i caught this fish i'm gonna wet my hands before i touch the fish it's gonna be in the net so it's not flopping all around on the grass i have my players to remove that fly quickly or if I have to cut my line, I have those snips to cut my line. But you can buy all of this stuff starting out, I'd say for under under 250, under 300 bucks. So Wow, that's awesome. Mhm. That's like so helpful to run through all that honestly cuz I think it's really easy to get into a shop and feel overwhelmed and feel like you just don't have much bearing and then you're listening to whoever's talking to you and Definitely. There's a lot going on. And, and it's tough when you go into a fly shop and and you're just starting out and you see these 800 to 1400 dollar fly rods just like on the wall one right after another. And so that we can get back to a previous question talking about the vibes of fly fishing. And this doesn't necessarily just relate to fly fishing, but more so the, the general outdoor community, but it's like, right. It used to be in a sense that it's okay. You pull up to a fly fishing access spot. There's somebody with a $40 pair of waders, $30 fly rod. And that dude with the really expensive stuff just like looks down on him. Or you're on a chairlift next to somebody with, hundred dollar skis some crappy wind pants when they might kick ass but as soon as you see that like the general outdoor industry views that in their head that it's like they're not as good or they don't necessarily have the right the right to be here and that's what i would i like to think that's becoming more eliminated from the outdoor recreation space but there's definitely a lot of lot of room to grow there and I think, I mean, this is a whole different, different conversation about like the marketing and people feeling like, oh, I'm not going to go unless I have the best stuff. Like that shouldn't deter people away from like trying something, whether that be fly fishing, whatever it is. But fly fishing was definitely known for, for that back in the day, for sure, for sure. And I think as much as people like to say they, they've never, never done that, I think we're all sort of, sort of guilty hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to a guest this week about that too, where we were just chatting through, like, there are so many ways that you can get outside and gears. Honestly, it can be a huge problem because a, it's expensive or it takes a lot of knowledge to know what more reasonable, affordable gear is actually going to work. For sure. So it's like, it's either a knowledge barrier or a financial barrier sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is really challenging. So 
Thank you for breaking down gear. Is there anything else gear wise that you think would be helpful for people to know? Not really. Uh, yes. Okay. Take that back. Polarized okay. <laughs> sunglasses. Polarized sunglasses will change your life when you are fishing or even around water. So I, I guess that I sort of went on a ta- gear tangent, but like, that's what I was mainly worried about when I first got into fly fishing. Luckily, I had some people in my family who weren't as passionate about it as me, but had some some gear sitting in the corner that I didn't know if it was good or I didn't didn't know if it was bad, but there was a starting point at least, which totally. which I was thankful for. Yeah, I actually think that's a really good point about um, longevity in your hobby. And we, I don't know, I'm guilty of this where I kind of go in and out of different hobbies, depending on like my vibe, the season, you know, all the things. And so I have a tendency to want to like overinvest. And then I'm like, why did I buy this stuff? I'm not going to use it. So it's almost cool if you can like view it in stepping stones and kind of like start at a baseline and be comfortable with that. And then like slowly invest. I feel like that's a really smart, but hard to do thing. Right. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. I appreciate an expensive fly rod, but do you need one? Can the average Joe for the first two or three years of them fly fishing tell a difference? Probably not, but you save up some money, you buy that nicer fly rod and then it's like, okay, I'm not going to use this cheap one. Let's donate it or give it to somebody who's showing some interest in, in trying to fly fish. So Yeah, Totally. The cool thing to do would be ask a friend if they want to go with you and then Mm -hmm. offer them the fly rod for a pack of beer and then it's all good. (laughs) And I, that sort of happened with your significant other. So (laughs) yeah, TZ. (laughs) This question is brought to you by our partners over at Body Glide. Okay, Sam, what were you worried about when you first started fly fishing? I guess the three main things that I worried about when I first started fly fishing was having the right gear, having the technical knowledge of what to use on the river and really like knowing where I can go to even catch a fish. So I guess they they sound extremely basic, but like that's, I I need to have the right, right rod to cast a line in the water. I need to have the right thing tied on to the end of my rod and I need to know where to go. So, okay. And that kind of brings me to my next question, not to interrupt you, but like, how do you know where to go? I feel like it's basic for most people, but it's not that basic when you're first starting out. A hundred percent. And so this is me getting back to doing, doing like do your research, but you can type in any state fish and wildlife department and say, for example, Wisconsin DNR. I can type in Wisconsin DNR trout stream maps and a whole list of printed trout streams per county will come up. And, and that, does that mean they're all, those are all the trout streams in the county? No. Do these streams are the only streams that have fish? Absolutely not. But this is a general great starting point. So I look at one of those maps. Oh, Dane County, Iowa County, close to Madison. I go to where one of these blue or uh green lines on the page intersect a intersect a road i go park at that road and i go jump in the water and it sounds so simple but at least this gives you a starting point that you know there is a catchable population of trout in that stream 
That was like so well said, honestly. Yeah. A, I had no idea that the DNR did that. These mm-hmm. are things that like are so common knowledge to you and I'm sure many people in this space. Right. But like I had no idea that was even a resource available. So that's super cool. Yeah. And and not and like I said, I'm sort of focused on like talking about trout fishing now, but any beach you go to a bluegill swimming around, like public beach or something like that, if that's what you want to do to first start getting into catching something on a fly rod but i was pretty and still am pretty torn up with the trout scene so like that's sort of what i would do to first find a river or a section i wanted to fish i would just google a county trout streams in x county a list would pop up i would have my that list on one tab google google earth on the other tab and then i don't know i'm sure a lot of not hunting and fishermen, fishermen and women are familiar with the Onyx app just to differentiate between public and private land. Um, and I would have that pulled up and it, it took a lot of failing. Like I've gone to hundreds, if not thousands of places to trout fish and haven't caught in a fish. But now when I open up my Google maps and my phone, I have, I don't know, 50 pins that even if I don't go there and catch a fish, I know it's like, okay, I can go there and have a chance to do that. Okay, is it offensive to ask a, a fisherman to share a pin? Like, you know what I That's mean? Like, I feel like question. that. Okay, and like, etiquette wise, is that overstepping? Yes, that is a great, great question. Um, and I feel that's where that whole I'm backpedaling, but the fly shop question too, when a, a newbie will go in and just be like, "Hey, where to fish?" And it's like that's. I'll answer this in a few ways. If I think the person doesn't want to put in the effort, I I will always give somebody a place that I know there's fish there. But I will say, here's this river in this county. If I know that the person is really just struggling, I will be a little more specific. Um, Or if they're my friends and I really want them to catch fish, I will say, hey, come with me or go to this specific place. I'll drop a pin. And then it's sort of an unwritten rule that they're not going to go back there unless they ask me or I take them. But if I'm just like, Oh, here's this river, go here. Like, yeah, feel free to like, go, go explore. But I seldomly will actually give somebody like a very specific point to fish. Wow. Yeah. And like, there's some people that won't even tell people like the name of name of the river. I feel like I'm, I'm very, very generous with my information I give out when it, when it comes to where to fish. But it's one of those things that if you don't enjoy the whole process of like figuring out where the fish are and like trying to and, and failing a little bit, I mean, then you probably shouldn't do it. I know people get deterred sometimes and just need a need a step in the right direction. And, and, and that's different than just being like, hey, Sam, like, where exactly do I fish? <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. think that's something that's really unique to like fly fishing, but also just like fishing in general. It's almost like the localism vibe in surfing where there's like a limited amount right. of a good. And so people can get very protective but every region, every sport, everything is so different. It's hard to sometimes know the unwritten rules. And I feel like I'm mm-hmm. so glad you shed light on that because that's stuff that's like not common knowledge and sometimes. That's 
so we it's weird because like you, you mentioned surfing or like climbing or like yep um mountain biking or backcountry skiing or not even back just regular skiing it's such a community based activity we're doing this with other people um i was i was joking around with my dad about this like i think um fishing and hunting specifically archery hunting and fly fishing they're like the two activities that you just try to blend in and be as quiet and as calm and as non-intrusive as you possibly can when other outdoor recreation activities it's just not the case so i think there's a difference perspective there that this is sort of my time and not that i I love fishing with other people but even if you're there with one other person two other people you're still trying to be as non-intrusive as possible if that makes sense yeah totally and i think that's actually really helpful to know because i think that is a very big difference between some of Mm -hmm. the other sports we've talked about or like you know, hobbies, whatever we've talked about and this specific, which is really interesting, honestly. Right. And, and I feel there's a great sense of community within fly fishing, like at local fly shops, just if you see somebody wearing a fly fishing branded shirt or something, it's like, wow, that you instantly like have that connection. But, and I feel the community aspect is extremely strong, but it's not necessarily when you're doing the specific activity with somebody else that makes sense yeah for sure it's like you it's it reminds me of like I am extroverted but I'm also I need to be introverted to be extroverted I need my alone time or else I cannot be around other people but I also like love being around other people it's weird a hundred percent a hundred percent so I really relate to that um I thought of a question while you were talking so we've talked a lot about trout how do you know which trout you can keep and when to fish the streams? Sure. Um, that's the, so they, I guess the states make laws not to be broken. They make laws to be followed. So they don't want you to like break the law. So they have it spelled out very simple. So let's say I'm going to, wherever uh montana fly fishing i'm going to google montana fly fishing regulations and on one of the first pages they will say trout season are these dates catch and release is this um then there'll be an asterisk that says see these pages for specific river regulations and stuff um okay i'll pump i'll pump wisconsin tires right now a lot of these stream crossing roads have signs right next to them that say trout season is this date to this date if you choose to keep a fish it has to be x number of fish under or over x inches only x type of lures can be used um now uh, not every place has that but it's that information is always somewhere and it's and it's it's outlined so just just do a little research and you'll you'll know what's what's right and wrong nobody wants you to like break the rules and 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 let, let's say you do break the rules and somebody catches you playing dumb doesn't really help because a lot of times these rules are spelt out. So, so, so easy. Yeah. Do your due diligence. I feel like there are little things. I mean, that's not a little thing. That's kind of mm-hmm. why I asked, but it's not always like 
mega super obvious. I mean, if there's a sign, that's totally different. But I just think back to like whenever I'm starting something new and I'm like, wow, I really wish I would have known that. Yeah. That's kind of one of those where I'm like, that would be one that would be good to know ahead of time. And, and that's only like, with, like, sure, their pamphlet might be 60 pages, but in that pamphlet, you do a what control F and s- s- type the stream you want to fish and like you zoom yeah. right to it. And so like, it's there, it's there. Like, okay. So yeah. do your homework. Do your homework. We're saying. Do your Just homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. Okay. I feel like we've danced around this a little bit and I want to get into it. It could be its own podcast episode entirely. Are you ready to talk about public lands or do you want to wrap up some other fly fishing stuff? Um, I will put, a final statement on fly fishing, but then let's jump into the public land aspect. I think fly fishing is not as intimidating as people make it out to be to, to jump into the sport. If you do a little research and by the basics, there's so many opportunities out there that it's, there's a lot of room out there for people to have a good time fly fishing. So it, it shouldn't be this daunting thing that, it's oftentimes made out to be. I love that. And I do feel like if you don't always think that you're someone that would be seen fly fishing, I think why mm-hmm. not you to start? You know what I mean? If there's not someone like you doing it, then be the like, I know it's easier said than done, but we're going to link some really cool resources like in the show notes and stuff, but it's hard to be the first, but I bet you'll find people out there that are really similar to you, whether you think so or not. Oh, for sure. For sure. Cool. Well, okay. So we've danced around this a little bit. This kind of goes hand in hand with using public lands. Um, So Sam isn't necessarily like an expert on this topic, but I think in terms of someone that's done a lot of research and has a lot of recreational background, I think you're very well read on this. So Mm -hmm. I want to hear a little bit about the dynamics of like public lands and recreating and what your experience has been with that. Sure. So I guess I think it's very important and I've oftentimes questioned this, whether I'm mainly, mainly through fly fishing and, and, and hunting, but it's like, okay, why am I able to, why is there a bike path on this public land? Why am I able to go trail running here? Why can I backcountry ski here? Why can I fish here? Why can I hunt here? I think it's always a really important question to ask yourself, like, where is this public land coming from that I'm able to use? Um, and I think there's an intersection between the hunting and angling community and the outdoor recreation community that's sort of lost. And I think there might be a sour taste in some hunters and anglers mouths towards the other outdoor recreation community, just solely where our uh, public lands funding is, is currently coming from. Um, so a, l- a little background knowledge, there's this, there's this, um, act out there called the, the Pittman Robertson act, which basically is an excise tax on firearms, ammunition, archery products, other hunting equipment, like decoys, stuff like that, which the general public doesn't see. That's an excise tax paid by the manufacturers, which is a roughly, I think a nine to 11% excise tax. But that excise tax for wildlife conservation and public lands made up over 60% of the funding. And in 2022, that was over $1.1 billion. So, and 
so basically Pittman Robertson too, their like main goals and we can, we can link, uh, put a link below in the show notes, but they, it says their goals are to restore and manage wildlife for the benefit of the public. And number two is acquire property for wildlife and public use. And so that little note I just said at the end for public use, that doesn't necessarily mean hunting and fishing. That means a lot of, a lot of other outdoor recreation as well. Um, so I, I just think not that I don't want to sound preachy at all, but I think the general public just needs to be sort of aware that this is public land funding. Um, and so there's, and you might've seen it and others might've seen it. Um, something being proposed called a pay to play tax or a backpack tax. Um, which would be an excise tax on just general outdoor gear, a lot less than the Pittman Robertson. It would be an excess tax of it was proposed like one to three percent, which the general public wouldn't wouldn't even even feel at all. But a lot of these big gear corporations and companies are not not a fan of it. Um, and that's just because it's it's almost like they want to put a curtain over it being like, hey, we're generating this amount of money for conservation, public lands. But we are also saying no to this backpack tax because they think that'll hurt them in the long run. When really it's like, okay, hey, we're going to generate this money doing these things. But if they would say yes to that excise tax, that generate way more money. Then, so I, I guess, like I said, I don't want to sound preachy, but I want to reiterate the point that it's important to know where you're recreating and why you are able to, recreate there and where it's coming from yeah I think that's a really good point I honestly didn't know any of that which is almost a little bit embarrassing to be honest because I'd really not thought much about that and I think when something's like national forest or national parks Mm -hmm. I just look at it and it makes me happy and I'm like wow I'm really glad that this is here but I don't think about the smaller things like I don't think about the public bike path or I don't think about you know the green space that I'm able to have Mm -hmm. and so I think the big picture is there's probably a lot more information out there that we don't know about. And I think maybe just start small. And if you pick a stream to go fly fishing, go look like, okay, A, is it public land or is it not? And B, where did it come from? Or like, For sure. why is it there? And, and generally, I'm speaking more Midwest minded right now. Generally, a lot of out West is federal land, BLM, national parks, wildlife conservation areas. When in the Midwest, it's a lot of state-centric land, which is um, Pittman-Robertson funding coming from that, um, agricultural easements, private groups like Ducks Unlimited, Trout Unlimited. This land is purchased by these groups and is open for hunting, fishing, but also oftentimes other outdoor recreation. And Wisconsin, I'm going to toot Wisconsin's horn, has this program called the Knowles-Nelson Stewardess Funds, which... um, are just funds allocated to purchase land for public use, specifically public outdoor, outdoor recreation, which is pretty cool. Stream access and water access. I'll toot Wisconsin's horn again. Um, Wisconsin has a law that is, you can access streams from any public right away on the road. And as long as your feet are wet, you are fully legal to traverse up and down, up and down that stream. Montana's law is similar that it's below the high water mark, 
So if you're below the high water mark and access from a public point, like a um, yeah road easement, you're fully legal. There's other states in the West and across the country, like I think North Carolina, Colorado is, hate to say it, one of the worst states for water access. Um, a lot of times the landowner will own that the stream bed. Um, and I know Colorado's law is constantly changing, but that's Colorado and other out Wyoming isn't a great state. So when you fish in other states, we were talking about right for like just general fishing regulations, know the water access laws. Um, but I couldn't, couldn't say enough about like Montana and states like Wisconsin that I are really opening the door for water access laws for and this doesn't, this doesn't mean fly fishing. This means I want to go tubing with some buddies down a river. I want to go kayaking. Where can I access this river? Oh, you can access here and take out here because this, this, this public. So. I was going to ask about the stream access. So that was like a perfect point. Um, I think big picture, what I'm thinking about right now is I take a lot of things for granted and mm -hmm. I don't love that. And I think one thing I'm going to try to do is just give myself some time to investigate, like, why is this here? Why can I recreate on it? And what do I have to do to, like, support the continual use of it? And sure. I think just having an understanding of, like, why something is there is really important, both mm -hmm. from an ecology standpoint. And because I, I tend to be more towards, like, why ecologically is it here and less yeah. of, like, who's protecting it. Sure. But the two halves of the coin are very cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like, I'm going to back, like not all hunters and anglers think about this. Like I do, I just find it extremely interesting is like, Hey, we should know where this public land is coming from. Um, and I think I, I mean, and I feel like I have a platform to talk on because I'm an, I outdoor recreate, not hunting and fishing quite often, but I would like to I would like to see how we can, the hunting and fishing community, the outdoor recreation com community can kind of come together for wildlife funding and public land funding rather than it be so heavily relied on, I'll say it, the hunting and, f and fishing community for sure. I'll speak from my perspective. I don't always mm -hmm. see myself in hunting and fishing groups i'm like oh that kind of gives me the ick a little bit for sure so i totally avoid it versus i think what i'm going to try to do is just take a step back and not always just think of the negative mm -hmm. or think of the things that first jumped in my head and be like a little bit more open-minded and just think why like why is this here and who's helping it be there sure sure and my i was so i I was the outreach coordinator for the Badger Hunting Club my time in my time in college and I guess my biggest driving thing was trying to eliminate the stereotype of these hunters and fishermen are oh big jacked up trucks bush light drinking blah 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 let's be like no we are conservation minded people we want to do things as ethically as we can and we want to enjoy the benefits of harvesting your own wild game and this we're kind of getting off topic of fly fishing but i think the intersection between everything is just so important yeah and i think fly fishing is a unique mm -hmm. activity where it kind of connects the more granola crunchy 
area that I tend to feel more comfortable in versus like the little bit less crunchy side of outdoor recreation. hundred percent. And I mean that in a very loose sense. For sure. So I feel like it is a bridge. And I think understanding that you may be around people that aren't always in your mindset, but you can still learn from other people. I think that's really important. A hundred percent. I think fly fishing is a good like you said, stepping stone for maybe an entrance into another, another world. Maybe you, and I'm mainly a catch and and release guy, but it's like, Hey, maybe I fly fished all year and it's like, Oh, it's closing day. I want to, I want to keep a trout. And it's like, okay, I know exactly where this fish is coming from. I know exactly how it's prepared. And that's, like I said, that could be a whole other, another podcast topic, but that's sort of the, yeah, pretty cool in my opinion. Yeah, that's so cool. Sam, before we wrap up, do you have any other like thoughts on either fly fishing or public lands that we haven't gotten to that you want to mention? Um, not really. I think, like I said, fly fishing is um, not as daunting of a hobby to get into as some might think. Um, be conscientious of where you're outdoor recreating, whether it be fly fishing, hunting, or whatever you're you're doing. And then um, I have a few badass females and I want to, want to shout out that are faces in the fly fishing industry. Cause I know I'm on a, in her nature podcast. So, um, Heather, um, Harkey, sorry, Heather, if I'm saying your name wrong, but <laughs> she's the, she runs this, um, badass fish for change program that I was, I was accepted in. Unfortunately, I couldn't do because it was COVID. Um, but that it's basically, they take students and fly fish and do, um, work related projects in these communities all across, um, Central America and elsewhere. Um, so basically they go down there, um, plant mangroves, teach English in schools, help out local communities. And then then fly fish in the in the afternoon. So she's awesome. Um, Hillary Hutchinson in Glacier National Park. She's a guide, um, but a, she's a Patagonia ambassador. Just a, a great person. Um, and then Cheyenne Orvis is also a, a guide in the um, in Colorado, and is just a really really cool social media um, figure. Um, and then fly shops in Wisconsin that I have personal connections with all these fly shops and I've had great experience with all of them. Um, first and foremost, shout out Craig Cook and Fall Line Outfitters in Stevens Point doing the learn to learn to fly fish classes. Um, Tight Lines Fly Shop in De Pere, Tim, um, great guy. The Driftless Angler um, out in Viroqua, Musky Fool Fly Shop, um, Dan Donovan in just north of Madison and then the Hayward Fly Fishing Co. If you're ever, if you're ever up north um that's super cool yeah i want to give a quick very quick plug and i think i'm going to do this almost every episode unfortunately or fortunately enough Mm -hmm. wisconsin has some of the best fly fishing and trout fishing in the entire country um we've talked about the ice age trail a lot on this podcast but because of the way the glacier formed our state there's an area of the state called the driftless region it's on like the western side of the state, kind of like southwestern-ish. But um, basically, there's a really unique setup, and there's very, very, very good fly fishing. I know Sam has fished there a lot. 
Um, but people come from all over the country to fish there. So if you're interested in looking for like an affordable destination, Viroqua would be a really good place. Yeah. They say the Madison sort of like the Southern entrance to the driftless in Wisconsin. And and it's kind of cool when I go out West fly fishing or, or down in, down in Florida and stuff. And I say, Oh, where are you from? And I say, Wisconsin. They're like, Oh, you driftless up there. You also have the smallmouth and musky scene, which is pretty cool. Like, Shout out the Midwest. Wisconsin's being on getting on don't want to blow it up too much, but it's an underrated place for outdoor recreation. Yeah. If we could put that on a t-shirt and sell it, I yeah, probably would. <laughs> for sure. And then and then there's one more thing I want to mention. We were sort of talking about the yeah. intersection between hunters, anglers, and other outdoor recreation. And um you sort of sort of mentioned, and I don't I don't think you meant it in any way, but you said, ah, sometimes it might give me the ick. I think that's there's, there's somebody who I had come in and speak to the Badger Hunting Club when I was um, part of it um, named Donnie Vincent, and he's a biologist, a filmmaker, conservationist that has an unbelievable seven-minute video called Who We Are, and it, it was a video that he was actually asked by National Geographic to do when they said, hey, Donnie, like, why do you hunt? Why do you fish? And he's like, wow, like, I, it's hard to just rattle, rattle that off the top of my head, so him and his film team made a seven minute video and I think articulated it as well as anybody could to just give give that sort of perspective I love that and I I definitely know that I need to keep a more open mind and that's why I'm so stoked that we have you today because you're the perfect like bridge between the two and there aren't two camps but sometimes it feels that way and I'm glad that you're here to not to to make it seem less binary Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And like I said, I, I'm, I have a foot in one and a foot in the other. So, and so I can kind of have both perspectives to, if we can just draw everybody closer to be one big right. family, I think that'd be the best for all outdoor recreation, wildlife land use in the, in the long run. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That was well said. Um, Sam, anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up? No, I think that was a good ending point. Sorry if I uh, rambled on any, any, topic at all no of course not we're so sam thank you so much for your expertise and for just sharing this new world with us i feel like i'm very excited to keep an open mind about trying that this year you're gonna have to take me now for sure we'll (laughs) uh we'll make it happen we'll make it happen amazing you can find us over at in her nature pod on instagram and tiktok if you like today's episode please share it with a friend rate and review us where you listen We are currently looking for podcast sponsors and advertising partners that align well with our brand, so reach out if you'd like to work with us. Music today by Tommy Z with The Porch Flowers, and our logo is done by the amazing Riley Johnson at rej.creative. Don't forget, the stuff is in your nature.